Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. Ever since the tragic killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis cop on May 25th, all the talk sweeping across our country has been about race and racism. Black lives matter, white lives matter. You know what, folks? Nothing matters. That's right. Nothing really matters unless we not only talk, but listen, really listen to each other. So that's what we're going to do today with my guest being former Giant and Super Bowl champion and, I'm very proud to say, a good friend of mine, Mr. George Martin, who, by the way, you might recall, walked across America back in 2008, raising millions of dollars for first responders. So like I said, listen up here because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, folks, I don't think... Well, certainly if you're a Giants fan, he needs no introduction. Uh, as I said, he walked across America in 2008 raising money for first responders. He was also, you know, for you Giant fans, uh, he's the man who Bill Parcells asked to introduce him at his Hall of Fame induction. He didn't ask Lawrence Taylor, didn't ask Harry Martin, didn't ask Phil Sims. It was Mr. George Martin. That tells you a little bit about what kind of, forget football player, what kind of man George Martin is. And quite frankly, I haven't met too many better than George Martin. So with that being said, let me introduce Mr. George Martin. Hello, George. How are we doing today? Good morning, my friend, Russ. I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're joining us. Listen, you and I spoke a couple of days ago, and when all this was go- has was and is going on, uh, the protest, the tragic death of George Floyd, all of it, I, um, I, thought, I thought of you right away just because you and I have had so many conversations about black and white and getting along and not getting along. And uh, I think the biggest thing that this country is missing, and you heard my open, people don't, they talk, but they don't listen. <laughs> and, and, and you know, like borrowing a phrase from you know 
one of our giant coaches, uh, Tom Coughlin, talk is cheap. Play the game. Yeah. Well, I'll take it one step further. Talk is cheap if you don't listen. I, mm-hmm. I, would you agree? Absolutely. I'd agree wholeheartedly. Now, now the, the reason I wanted you here is because last night, when I looked in the mirror this morning, I saw a white guy. When you looked in the mirror this morning, you saw a black guy. I don't think that's changed for any of us anytime <laughs> no. soon. So, no, but, 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 you know, we come from different places. I come from Brooklyn. You come from South Carolina. And, you, you know, before we get this conversation going, I wanted people to know some of the things that you went through growing up. And, and, you know, not only growing up, but where it, you are today. So why don't you go ahead? Well, first of all, Russ, thank you very much for allowing me to have this discussion with you. As you know, I have a great deal of respect for you, and that's why I agreed to do this. And uh, I am, um, I'm, I guess I have mixed feelings about what's going on in America today. I can tell you on one hand, I'm completely overjoyed by the overwhelming response uh, that uh, the nation is showing toward the death of George Floyd. Uh, on the other hand, I am uh, completely dismayed because some of those those cries for help and change are falling on deaf ears at the highest uh, possible level, and that that that's a uh, cause for a great deal of concern. But first of all, I'd like to say that I think that your your subject matter today is very well founded because I grew up, as you said, in South Carolina, so I have experienced firsthand, you know, the uh, horrific uh, sins of, of of racism at its at its very core. Uh, growing up where I've seen not only uh, experienced it myself, but saw my family members, especially my mom, uh, being um, um, accosted. Uh, I'll, I'll use a very uh, soft term. Uh, my dad being denied, even though he was a guy who uh, had military service, uh, denied uh, any progressive uh, opportunities in life and was relegated to being a uh, second-class citizen by being a sharecropper. And if you're unsure what that means, it's just a continuation of, of a slave and a master owning the land. So um, I, I've seen it at its very core. I've been subjected to it uh, directly uh, growing up. But also I think that the indoctrination that I had as uh, having very good parents, having a, having a moral compass and being able to realize that, that uh that circumstances shouldn't necessarily change an individual, that you should try to change those circumstances. And that's what I've always grown up, uh, tried to do, is to try to be an influence on a positive level, no matter where I've been. And I, I'd like to look back on my life uh, and say that I've been successful trying to do that. You, you told me a story. Um, I, I'd like you to share it with our listeners. You, you told me a story about you sitting, what, I don't know, you were in the sixth, seventh grade, mm-hmm. maybe eighth grade at, at, at a, a basketball game cheering. And, yeah. and, and I, I want people to understand this because unless you understand, unless you listen, people don't know where somebody's coming from. Tell that story. Yeah, I, I grew up, as you said, I was born in South Carolina, and because Dad was in the uh, um, civilian uh, sector of the service, we were transferred from South Carolina to Georgia and eventually California. So when I entered high school as a freshman, uh, you know, having that background of um, you know racial degradation, I thought that California was this land of milk and honey, as we had been uh, told, and that everything would be fine. Well, uh, as a freshman, I went to uh, high school, and after we had played, I was sitting in the stands with a bunch of my white friends. And by the way, this is a total contrast uh, culturally. I went to an integrated 
or a segregated uh, schooling in the South, and then when I came to California, it was integrated. So right. it was a it was a stark cultural change for me. But I remember sitting in the stands, and after I played the game, I was sitting there with my teammates, all of which were white, and we were uh, cheering and 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 rooting. That's just a typical uh, group of fans. And uh, I remember one of our, our teammates made a basket, and I stood up and I cheered. And this white gentleman behind me uh, tapped me on the shoulder, and he says, "Listen, you nigger, if you keep doing that, I will punch you right in the face." And he didn't say it quietly; he said it boisterously, so everybody heard it. And I was absolutely, besides being reeked with fear, I was shocked. Shocked, number one, that someone would take that position to a uh, a freshman student. And secondly, that no one in the crowd uh, admonished that guy or tried to correct him. And that was sort of traumatic for me. And it it gave me a stark reality of what America was for a young African-American black man in a white society. No, listen, I know you a long time, but... And we've spoken about race quite a bit, but even when you say this story, when you were talking to me over the weekend and then you're telling it to me now, I feel the same way. You you know, no pun intended, my skin crawls. So so now let's, you know, a lot of the talk has been in this country about systemic racism and and I want people to hear this. And George, George is, we're about the same age. So, you know, Mm -hmm. our, our dads were veterans in the war. Uh, the Second World War. N- now, fast forward some time, and uh, okay, y- you're even out of football. And uh, have you been stopped in the car? Uh, since I've been out of football, um, I don't. Yes, I have. Yes, yes, I have. Yes, of course. Yeah, oh. I, had, I had a tail light out, but uh, uh, there was a contrast. I can tell you, Russ, that is a difference between an African American being stopped, and I'll tell you the difference. Um, I was uh, recently stopped here in uh, uh, Elk Grove, California, and it was uh, a pretty innocuous stop, except the, the process of which the gentleman approached the car. There was an extreme um, um, uh, amount of caution. Uh, his hand was on his weapon, and then I was instructed to keep my hands visible, which are all great uh, safety precautions in and of themselves if they are used across the board, but I can tell you that they aren't. Mm-hmm. That when you're a black man, you have to go through these precautionary steps. Uh, so to ensure in the mind of the officer his safety and, and ultimately, uh, hopefully secure your own safety. But you contrast that with I was riding in the car with a, um, uh, a white friend of mine, a female, as a matter of fact, very good friend of mine. We were riding um, um, uh, a few years ago in, uh, along the, uh, the Jersey uh, coast, and uh, a, a police officer pulled her over. And as he pulled over, he, he walked up to the car. He was carefree. His, you know, he had his hands uh, inside his belt buckle like he was just, you know, it was no big deal. And he was just as, uh, you know, just as friendly and just as ingratiating as he could be. And he, and he greeted her just with such pleasant, hello, young lady, how are you today? He says, I just wanted to pull you over because you were going a little fast through the zone. And it was so, it was, it was, I was kind of shocked. Uh, I'd never seen or witnessed that kind of interaction between a police officer pulling over uh, uh, someone who he could have given a ticket for. And then he, he looked, I was sitting in the passenger side, he looked over at me, and his mood, you could see it, it was almost like the blood just drained from his face. Mm-hmm. He, um, he became, uh, not that he became indignant or anything like that, but he came very, very cautious, and he asked her, he didn't ask me, he asked her, are you okay, and do you know the gentleman sitting next to you? He asked that and, question. 
he asked that question right. <clears throat> as if though I had kidnapped her or something like that. And I felt, you just don't know, Russ, because the mere presence, my mere presence changed when he saw that I was an African-American man sitting over there. His entire demeanor changed almost instantly. And then she responded to him. She said, yeah, he's a very good friend of mine. She says he's George Martin from the New York Giants. Now you have this reversal of complete 180 all over again. So you go from this jovial, uh, ingratiating gentleman uh, pulling over this white individual to now he sees that there's an African-American person and he, he hardens his demeanor almost instantly. Then he finds out that you have this sort of celebrity status. Then he goes back and reverts back to what he was originally. And that's the kind of hypocrisy that, that, that really bothers uh, me. And by the way, I, I'd like the audience to know this, Russ. There's, I do not advocate and get rid of the police force. That, that's the idiotic on its face. And I will tell you that I have tons, and I mean, when I say tons, I mean tons, thousands of friends who are police officers. So I don't advocate getting rid of the police officers. G- G- I do. George, do me a favor. Yes. Hold on to that thought for one second because sure. I, I want you to finish. I got a couple other points because that's then I want to get into that, and, and that's why I'm trying to make my point. So so just sure. bear with me. I, I, I know where sure. you're coming from. So yeah. you go through that, and, and folks, this is what I'm talking about. You have to listen and learn, and George and I do that with each other. But mm-hmm. there's not enough of that today. So now, George, I want also you relate that story. Now I want you to relate the story when you were living in Ringwood, New Jersey. <laughs> that, to me, is one of the best. When I say best, best examples, it just, it just makes you ill. Tell that story. You're living in, in a beautiful home in Ringwood, New Jersey for eight years. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, my, <clears throat> my family, I have... Uh, my wife and four, our four children, three sons, and, and a daughter, we'd been living in uh, uh, Ringwood, uh, New Jersey, which is a idyllic community, by the way. This is not an indictment on uh, Ringwood. Ringwood yes, is, no, no, it's beautiful. Yeah. And I would do it all over again. And uh, my wife and I, we always had this, this uh, tradition where after dinner we would walk down. We lived in a sort of a cul-de-sac. So we'd walk down to the uh, end of the street and then, you know, just uh, walk off our dinner and chat. And, 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 um, and then we'd turn around and we'd walk back to our home. Uh, well, this one fateful day, uh, we had a new neighbor move into the, uh, into the neighborhood. And she'd been there a week or so, and I guess uh, she hadn't really uh, been in tune to things. And as my wife and I were walking down the street, which we had done for eight years, um, and everybody in the, in the neighborhood knew us, and of course in the entire community, we had raised funds. We built a library in, in Ringwood, my wife had. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're walking down, and this lady comes out on her porch, and she yells to the top of her voice, what are you doing in my neighborhood? And I, I, I tell you, I almost crumbled with, with, with shock. Uh, I, 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 and my wife knows that sometimes I get a, a little emotional. And as I started to respond to her, my wife grabbed me by the arm, as she does a lot of times, and that arm is a calming factor. And I didn't respond to her. I didn't respond to her. I just, I, I just with my wife, we walked along, and she looked at us, until we went down to the cul-de-sac and came back as if though we were going to steal or, I don't know, rob or whatever. But she looked upon us with disdain as we walked in our neighborhood that we'd been there for eight years. And uh, I'm sure that at some point in time she had uh, gotten a correction from either the neighbors or, or something. But, by the way, 
there was never an apology issued or even a, a reckoning whatsoever from her. Well, you, you, if you're listening, folks, and if you're really listening, I'm sure. Uh, uh, I'm I'm not guessing. I'm I can say I'm sure that George Martin has quite a few scars from dealing with bigotry and racism, you know, hit all his life. However, and this, this, I think a lot of people, all of us, white, black, blue, green, in between, can all learn, while the scars are there, the bitterness, there is no bitterness. And to give you an example, as I said, this guy has walked across America, taken him 10 months, to raise millions of dollars, I think it's six, seven million dollars for first responders. They weren't black first responders or white first responders. They were first responders to what happened during 9-11. George's four children, as he said, three boys and a girl. They all married a white person. So they were not, the scars were dealt with but they weren't allowed to be uh, festered into uh, bitterness. How'd you do that, George? It was very, very, very simple, Russ. Uh, as I told you, my mom uh, uh, had a very, very bitter um, objection to me marrying my high school sweetheart, uh, who was African-American, by the way. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the irony of that. And uh, I, I realized at that point in time, uh, as the Bible, and, and I am a Christian, I am a believer that, it says that as you grow older, you shall leave and cleave unto your, your, your spouse, and that's a choice that the individual has to make. And, and I, I very respectfully told my mom that this was my choice and not hers, and uh, I would do it uh, all over again, obviously. And I wanted to raise my children uh, in the same way to make sure that their choices in life would be theirs. And I would support that. My wife and I would support it no matter what it is, whether it was interracial, whether it was uh, gay or whatever, whatever it was. Uh, because that's their life, and we love them unconditionally. And uh, I'm very proud of the choices that all my, my children have made, and I'm even prouder, if that's possible, of the f- six grandchildren that we have uh, have garnered as a result of that. And uh, they are really my world. I, I love them uh, unconditionally and, and totally. Well, I, I mean, but th- that's my point, and that was you know my point to start this conversation, is that... People need to listen to one another. You know, as much as Russ Salzberg can think, and I'm raised in the city, I'm a housing project kid. Uh, you know, when they talk about white privilege today, do me a favor. I tell people, maybe my kids have some white privilege growing <laughs> up. Maybe my grandkids, but don't tell me about white privilege. Because, right. you know, I no, but I, I think that's what I'm talking about. Both sides needing to listen to one another. Mm-hmm. So here yep. we here we are today. We have this thing, and, and um, you were bringing up the police. Well, I, I want to reinforce what I said. You walked across America to raise millions of dollars for first responders. Again, they weren't black first responders, white first responders. They were just first responders. They were people to you who you mm-hmm. respect. And now, again, uh, that brings me because I'm all against this uh, if you, if you want to say, not you, but anybody, if you want to say systemic racism exists in this country, you'll get no argument from me. If you want to say there is some, some systemic racism <clears throat> within police departments, 
I won't dispute that. But to label all police as bad as the enemy, uh, what did I say, enemy, as the enemy, that is a crime as much as anything else. Go ahead. I could not agree uh, more, Russ. Uh, as a matter of fact, during this whole exchange, a, a very good friend of mine, very dear friend of mine, happens to be the head of the Sargent's Benevolent Association, uh, Mr. Ed Mullen. Oh, and- Ed's been a guest of mine a few times. He's been a guest here on uh, WABC Radio quite a few times. Good man. Yeah. Yes, of course he's a good man. And I, I picked up the phone the other day and I called him and I, I wish he and his family the best. I hope they were doing good during this pandemic. And I just told him I was just thinking about him. And by the way, that. That conversation goes both ways. He'll pick up the phone. He'll call me. We have that relationship. And, by the way, it is unshakable, and it's not going to change. And that goes with, with the, the other thousands of police officers and, and, and security guards and, and individuals who I call friends. And our friendship is not based upon uh, their uh, employment. My friendship is based upon how they have treated me and the kind of character they have. And, 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 and that is what is important to me, and that is the way I judge friendship. So when you see this, what, as a black man, okay, as a black man, what can you say to people? Because it's easier for you to say it than for Russ Salzberg to say it. Because if Russ Salzberg say it, you know, in, you know, some people listen, but in the end, you know, I'm just the white guy saying it. But, yeah. but, but if George is saying it, it's a different difference, a, a big difference. So when you say to them, okay, listen, yeah, we got problems and problems need to be fixed. We can't have this happen, and we can't have people being killed. But you got to respect the police. Mm-hmm. What you know, and there are people who will respect what you say, but then there are people who won't respect what you say. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think first of all, Russ, we all come to this, uh, and I'll give you an example because I want to use Drew Brees, and I'm sure you might bring it up later oh. as an example of mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Uh, we all come to this uh, this point by our various experiences. And when you look at what's going on on television, um, it, it will be from a different perspective than what I look at what's going on on television. I can understand the frustration. I can understand the, um, the, the uh, inherent uh, racial bias. I can understand the prejudice because I've been uh, a victim of it more often than, than, than you can understand. And when you look at the, the social impact of what is happening, how people are relegated by redlining and allowed to live in these, areas because they don't have access to to uh to home loans and and funding when you look at that they don't have the same economic uh opportunities relative to employment they don't have the same uh abilities to go out and start a business because they don't have access to capital when that starts to 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 fester and to begin to to uh just coagulate over generations not just uh you know recently over generations the vast majority of what people are protesting about out in the street does not, is not captured on videotape, that I can tell you. And so that frustration boils over in anger, and people have a tendency to, to strike out in any, uh, in any form uh, or manner that they can. And I understand that, even though I don't necessarily support, I would not conduct it that way, but I understand it completely. Now, you, you there s- has to be... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, there has to be a time when we come to the table and we begin discussion. And I'll give me a, a similar example. Uh, Colin Kaepernick took a knee, and he did it in the most uh, respectful, uh, nonviolent way. And and people have asked me what did I think about it. I said, well, I respect his right to do it. It's not something I would have chosen to do. I I would have handled it in a different way, personally. 
But I don't condemn him for doing it, and he got no response. As a matter of fact, only quite recently, as you've heard, the commissioner came out and, and apologized because he did not listen to African Americans as we were telling him quite loudly that there was racial injustice in the country. But I think that we have to look at what is the, what is the root cause of what's going on right now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's wrong to go out and burn down someone's building. It's wrong to go out and tear up someone's business. It's wrong to go out and deface and defame somebody's uh, property. That is inherently wrong. But let's not point uh, a finger at, the, the, at the, uh, the, the results. Let's look at the cause. And until we start looking at the cause and say, all right, what happened to George Floyd was a disgrace. And I am absolutely encouraged that this was not a white reaction to, inj- I mean, a black reaction to injustice. This was universal condemnation of that, that act. And so we've got this uh, attention, but let's sit down. What do we do with all that energy? What do we do with all that frustration? Right. What do we do with all that activism? How does it manifest itself and change? And that's where, uh, as you just have said repeatedly, Russ, that's when we have to sit down and start listening to one another and come to an, uh, a solution. Without question. But here, here's... If you, and listen, I remember you know, some of our conversations and we concurred uh, o- over Colin Kaepernick. Uh, mm-hmm. I said, and I defended his right, even though I didn't like it or the like the way he was doing it. Uh, it was his right. I, I felt it was his right to protest. And my attitude was be my guest protest mm-hmm. where, and I, I've said this to you where Colin Kaepernick, Ka- Colin Kaepernick lost me. And I would say it again, today and i thought it was a colossal mistake and i thought he lost a lot of people over it when he decided to wear as i said to you socks depicting cops of pigs then wearing a a a castro shirt to me he lost me at that point and i don't think he just lost me at that point i think he lost a lot of other people quote unquote white people in that point including myself russ we agreed on that yeah absolutely yeah. And, and to me, see, see, both black and white have to be careful. That's my opinion of not just sending a message, but how they send the message. They have to. It's a, you know what? Like what you just said. Yeah, we, we got to find the reason what leads to these crimes. But there are a lot of white people who are just looking at this. I can't tell you how many. I, I feel the same way. Man, you didn't burn down just houses. You burn down houses and, and not houses, businesses in your own neighborhoods. You yep. destroyed people who are busting their ass and breaking their balls, trying to live through this pandemic. And now they got nothing left to show for it in your own neighborhood. Now, a lot of white people are saying, exactly as I'm explaining it, what the hell were you people thinking about? Meaning you people. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. that's where that message gets lost, because yeah. if you're burning down your own, how's Whitey supposed to feel sorry for you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well, of course it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but but from their perspective, they're saying, well, what do we got to lose? You know, we're already at the bottom end of the totem pole. Uh, so how much worse can it get for uh, for us? I mean. They don't have access to, to, to great food. Uh, they're eating fast food. They don't have vegetables and all that stuff like uh, their white counterparts. Yeah. And their frustration is, you know, how much worse can it get for, for us? You know, if we don't have an option here, we're going to have to go and find an option elsewhere. And hopefully that option would be better than what we've had over the last millennia in our own neighborhoods. 
And I think that the reason they can do that is because they're, they're, they're galvanized right there in that cluster. They're not out in suburbia. They're not allowed to get out there. You know, they don't live out there. They live right there in that squalor. And they're trying to call attention to the fact that, yes, this is, this is, this is so bad. Yes, in some cases it needs to be changed. It needs to be burned down. And, and like I say, it's not my uh, way to react, but I understand it completely. Uh, and I empathize with, with those protesters. I, but what I don't, but, but Russ, let me say this. What I don't condone is the deafening silence, the absolute deafening silence that is, that is emanating uh, from our highest level of government. Well, that that's certainly a fair point. I, I would, you know, you'll get no dispute. I don't think you'd get much of a dispute from anybody on that. Um, cer- certainly not here. Uh, Drew Brees, <clears throat> we mentioned Drew Brees. Now, George, the timing might have been poor, okay? I'll give you an example of, uh, before I get to Drew Brees. When Black Lives Matter came out, mm-hmm. when, when I knew right away what people meant. I knew right away as this white guy, I knew right away they're trying to send a message that, yeah, we matter. They weren't mm-hmm. saying that black lives are the only people that matter. Black, right. uh, However, then you get the flip side of saying that, well, what, we don't matter or all lives mm-hmm. matter? Now, on the flip side of that is somebody who says all lives matter is not saying Black Lives Matter is bad, but if somebody says all lives matter, it doesn't mean they're bad people as well. Drew, right. Drew Brees, to mm-hmm. me, here's what what has just happened to him, I think is, is nothing short of a crime. He, he mm-hmm. made a statement, as you and I both said, he made a statement from where his grandparents, his grandfathers came from, one fought, I believe, in Okinawa or was a Marine. And, and, you know, they, they were involved in World War II. Right. He, he made a statement. People, some people took offense to that. But the, the, the vitriol that he received over it, here's a guy who, who's given millions. His foundation over the years has given $25 million dollars and I guarantee you more of that money was earmarked for African-American people than anybody else. Oh, oh, during Katrina in, in New Orleans, he just, he just, him and his wife just gave $5 million for the coronavirus, uh, f- fighting that, you know, help, helping people out. For him to be going through what he's going through now, George, I just, I just, my friend, I just think it's sinful. I think it's criminal. That, that's my attitude on that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it's criminal. Uh, I think that it's unfortunate. I, I think that what Drew said, I support what he says from his standpoint. And you and I talked about this, Russ. Yes. He, he did it based upon his experience and his, um, um, the uh, inherent history of his, uh, his family. And that was something to be respected. And that's something that's, that's idyllic and, and something that I wholeheartedly 100% support. But if Drew can stand there and say that based upon his uh, lineage and his experience, then grant me the same opportunity, which is night and day from what his parents and, and grandparents and, and his lineage was. Because ours was a, a, a blatant display of racism and segregation. And, 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 and if indeed, um, and, and by the way, when people protest, 
it's seared in the Constitution, uh, Russ, that, that people have the right to protest. That's, uh, and, and, and when you deface a flag, uh, you have to look at the root cause. And as I said, I don't necessarily support that, but you, I support their right to do it because that says that there is a problem. Let's look at the problem. Don't look at the end result. Let's, let's make them as proud of that flag as Drew Brees is uh, of, of that flag for his, his lineage. I want him to understand what my lineage was. I want him to understand that the, that the fact that my dad had, had soldiers piss on him, fellow soldiers piss on him as they were walking side by side, guys were in the truck, and they were pissing on their fellow African-American soldiers who were there to support them. They, they didn't necessarily uh, have guns. They were there to support them bring up uh, supplies, munitions, and, uh, and, and feed them. But they were making the contribution that they were uh, required to. And um, that, that hurts. That, that hurts when people don't recognize that, that not all things have been equal in this country. Uh, that's exactly the point that I wanted to make about Drew Brees. Drew Brees is coming from one place. Mm-hmm. Some black players, such as yourself, coming from another place. And we yes. all have to listen to each one. Yeah, it doesn't make the black player wrong. It doesn't make the white player wrong. I mean, listen, everybody knows we're all smart enough to know who's full of shit and who's not. Okay, <laughs> that, that's as basic lingo as I can say it. You know, you, you can't bullshit a bullshit artist. Right. You, you know, that's just what it is. And you bring out a point. Listen, my father uh, was in World War Two. And um, I remember, uh, and this was, you know, he's a vet and and a street guy, proud of his country, you know, all that. And I remember when I was in high school and um, we're getting ready to go, you know, all the protests were going on against the war and people were burning flags and, and burning draft cards. And I hadn't yeah. got my draft card yet. I'll never forget this. And, you know, I'm not saying my father was Archie Bunker, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But but he yeah. was, you know, pro-American and this and that. You, you don't dis- disgrace the flag. You don't do this with your draft card. But then he, it was almost like, as he was telling me, you ever burn a, you do that, I'll beat the shit. You know, listen, I, I we come up, we, we come up, yeah, we come up from a different era. Back in a hand, hey, I, <laughs> That, that that was hello. Can I have right. more? You, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you know that kind of thing. But I remember, never forget this. He says the only people who might have a right to burn a draft card are the colored boys. That's exactly how yeah. he said it. Now you, you remember yeah. there was a time when you were colored and you were a Negro, George. You became black and African American later on. But right. I, and and he said and he said it to me because they still can't go take a piss. Or go get a drink of water in certain places that you and me can in this country. Mm-hmm. I right. th- that lasted with me. That's fifty years ago. That lasted yep. with me to this day because yeah. I, I remember saying to myself, "You know what? My old man gets it. He gets it." Because I, I I thought that was a common sense statement from somebody. You know what he know? He he went as a as a nineteen twenty year old over fighting a war in 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 europe yep Mm -hmm. but he understood so that's what i'm saying but again it's people who listen and people who don't listen let me get to let me get to roger goodell okay 
I thought, well, I'll be frank. I just thought it was a business decision making the announcement. I think it was an announcement that, that he pretty much had to make, but I don't think he looks good saying it. Your thoughts. My thoughts were, I, I, I'll tell you what my thoughts were. My thoughts were converted into actions because I picked the phone immediately and I called the league office and I left a message for Roger Goodell, uh, letting him know uh, that I had three things that I wanted to say to him. Number one, that I wished his family safe uh, during this uh, uh, pandemic. Number two, we had gotten an increase in our uh, benefits and I wanted to thank him personally. And number three, I wanted to thank him for the statement uh, that he made in support of the social unrest that was going and, and, and the perspective of, of African-Americans, which I thought was extremely important uh, and was brave. Did it go far enough? Uh, did it address the Colin Kaepernick situation? Well, no, it didn't, it, and it probably should have. But you know what? I'm going to take that victory lap where we can find it because as Roger was brave enough and, 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 and said it, uh, there are a whole lot of head of CEOs and, and corporations that are remaining silent uh, during this period of time. So I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. I think what he did was bold and courageous, even if it was necessary. But he made it, and he said he stands with African-American players, and I respect that. And I am delighted that the National Football League uh, stood up and, and is being counted in this, uh, in this social change. I, I, I would say, see, where I disagree... I mean, it was, I think it was necessary. I just think, I don't know if it was, I don't know if so much sincerity is there as it is a business move, but for whatever reason, whether it is a business move or not, if it quells some of the anxiety and animosity and, and violence or potential violence, then it's a good thing. That's my well, attitude me, on it. Yeah. Well, let's peel back the uh, layers just for a second, Russ, because number one, uh, I think it was alluded to that 70% of the uh, NFL is African-American, but it drops off precipitously when you go into coaching. Right. And it's, and it's non-existent when you go into to ownership. And if Roger Goodell's statement uh, can go a long way in improving those numbers on the back end or in the upper echelon of the National Football League, then I will applaud that and I will take that any day because I think it's about time that they have African-American ownership. They could put together a consortium of individuals that could have ownership in the National Football League. And if that is the net result of his statement, I, I, I support it wholeheartedly. Fair enough. Uh, then there were, Listen, I admired the Denver Broncos going out as a team, marching yes. together. I, 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 mm-hmm. re- I really did. But then I saw them wearing shirts saying, if you ain't with us, you're against us. Mm-hmm. See, I, I thought that, I don't think they mean, you know, it's, it's yeah. what we said, we got to think before we speak. Well, some right. of your actions, we have to think. I don't think they mean any harm by that. But, yeah. I, but I think that's kind of like, uh, let's get ready for a fight. If you're not yeah. with us. No, that's, see, see to me. That's where the message is, because not everybody does what you and I are doing here today, George, exactly. talking and yeah. listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get my drift on that? Oh, absolutely. And I agree with you, Russ. I agree 100%. Now, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. Now, w- one of the things, and you know, before we get close to wrapping this up, one of the things that uh, I don't, I, I touched it briefly when, in our private conversation, uh, why there is systemic... Um, Racism in this country, 
Uh, see, I, I just call it systemic racism in this country. I just don't. People just like labeling the police. We don't have police in this country. You, you want to see chaos? Boy, we're going to see chaos, and I know you agree with me on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. B- but um, while systemic racism is a problem, I, I did a podcast last week, and I called another problem being systemic pandering. And mm-hmm. in particular, I label politicians and I label media. And, and media are our main culprits. And the reason I say that, I've seen it too many, too many times. People, the media loves black, white, a problem. Ooh, it's sexy. Ooh, mm-hmm. let, let, this, this is nice and juicy. Two white guys getting into a fight, no problem. Two black guys getting into a fight, killing each other, no problem. But when it's black and white, they just eat it up. And, and while that we know that there is racism, I just think the media panders to, as soon as they can get into a black-white discussion, they love it. They, they just love the controversy of it. And I think that's a major problem in our country. Yeah, I think that certain situations uh, can be overhyped by the media. And by the way, Russell, this is your uh, area of expertise, and um, I'm on the outside of looking in. Uh, but I think that in the George Floyd case particularly, uh, that that does not hold water. Oh, no, I no, think, uh, I couldn't I agree think, with yeah, you I know, I know. I, Yeah, I know. I think some of the other things that they're, they are focusing on, some of the backstories, I agree with you. Uh, conclusively, Russ. Let me say just two other things before, uh, very briefly. Number one, I I I I, I applaud the fact that this is a global uh, experience. That it's not just the United States. That everybody uh, across the world are, are up in protest over the situation. And then, secondly, that I, I, my being on this show is not to flame any division. I wanted people to say that it's time to sit down. It's time to look at what has transpired, and hopefully, if anything comes out of the George Floyd. Uh, death that it is reform that is something that is is positive that is it's it's like uh you and i russ and george sitting down and talking about things and coming to mutual understandings and respecting the position of one another that was my my reason for coming on well that was the reason i wanted you on george because as i said black lives matter white lives matter but nothing really matters unless we're not just talking, but we're listening. And I just wanted today to be an example to anybody who's listening to this podcast is if you don't listen, all the talk is not worth a shit. It's not, it's not right. worth anything. And then, then it's just talk is cheap. It doesn't mean a thing. You got to, you know, it's like I always say, you can hear, but if you don't listen, right. it's no good. You, you can see. Uh, you you can watch, but if you don't really see, it's all worthless. Right. <laughs> it, 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 it's True. It, there's communication and, and lack thereof. Uh, George Martin, uh, I can say this beyond, without a shadow uh, of of doubt in my mind, it is an honor to call you my friend. That door swings both ways, Russ. As you know, we you and I don't just communicate on these uh, these uh, podcasts. We we uh, communicate throughout, and I respect your position that I call you for counsel sometimes. So that's uh, what I think of Russ Alford. Well, well, George, I thank you very much for being here, folks. Uh, as I said, uh, George gets it. I like to think I get it too, but the most important thing I hope you get from this is that against, unless you listen, 
All the talk doesn't mean a thing. But right now, that's a wrap here, folks. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on today's conversation, me and George Martin. You can tell me on Twitter at Russ Salzberg, on Facebook. You can also always check out my website, russsalzberg.com. My thanks to my man, my main man who always takes good care of me across the way, Matt Meany. To uh, my 77 WABC program director, Dave Labrosi, his outstanding assistant, Matt Dahl, uh, president and GM, Chad Lopez. And last but certainly not least, you the people out there. Because without you the people out there, I'd have nobody here to be talking to. So until next time, it is Ira Salzberg saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Be safe, be well, and let's listen to one another. Talk to you next time. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over, from book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.